Hello and welcome to the Trail and Adventure Motorbike Podcast with me, Clive Barber, and my good mate, Noel Tom. For the days when you can't ride your bike, there's always the Trail and Adventure Motorbike Podcast. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 6 of the Trail and Adventure Motorbike Podcast. Today, we're joined by Matt Bishop and Reese Jilks, alternatively known as the Sidecar Guys. They're going to tell us all about their round-the-world trip and why they chose a scooter with a sidecar. And also why they now prefer a 750 Ural. No shit, Sherlock. They're also going to tell us about their festival, the Armchair Adventure Festival, which is held down in Cornwall on the 27th to the 30th of May. Grab your laughing gear. <laughs> this is a good one. Just forgive my ignorance. Just remind me which festival this is. Oh, for fuck's sake. I spoke to you this afternoon. You said you'd done some, you were doing some research. Well, I have, but I think this bit I've kind of missed. This, bit. No, this, is, this right. isn't the armchair festival, is it? Yes. That's yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. That's you. You yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. That's, I saw yeah. that. I just thought you were probably just heavily involved in it, but I didn't realise that was your baby. Yeah, it's our baby. This was the one they started during lockdown. 20,000 people. I know about yeah. it. I just didn't know who was who was behind it. That's us. So I'm really delighted you could join us. Good to chat. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for the invite. I think tonight's issue for us is not for us not to ask really predictable questions <laughs> about <laughs> sidecar-related issues. Are we going to have to take the piss out of sidecars no, and scooters, though? No. Well, I'm going to. I've had enough of that. No one ever well, says anything about sidecars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you're having to defend sidecar use quite a lot? I, no. Yeah, I don't think so. No, we, we just usually spend our time when we speak to people. Oh, yeah. We just if we, if we run out of questions and we're talking to adventure motorcyclists, we usually say, "and and does it have a third wheel or or not?" And that's kind of yeah, sorry. In a sense, we we know it's got, got that Wallace and Gromit feeling to it, which is oh, uh, you see that I was going to make some cards with like in a sort of like a QI thing. <laughs> you know, and Wallace and Gromit was definitely going to go on a card. We've even got a bell set up. <laughs> there, first one, Wallace yeah. and Gromit. So I haven't got a klaxon, so I'm using a, my bike bell. It's like not like we're amateurs or anything, then. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> sound right. effects. Oh, at least they came up with the first predictable thing themselves. In a sense, guys, we're, we're ahead of the game with these. Yeah, we've, we've been living sidecar gags for seven, eight years now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm still going to be predictable and, and, and make some. But you guys do a lot of the, um, the festival stuff, don't you? You do the on stage introducing people. Yeah. Kind of came out of nowhere, really, all that stuff. It was all from the armchair festival we did and then just kind of got the uh, – the, the job of like uh yeah int introducing and just talking garbage on stage really welcome to the podcast yeah <laughs> so i guess that the, the first question is really just tell us who you are and why would we be talking to you this evening sure you want to go reese i can do all right yeah so i'm reese that's matt and i guess together we're, we're known as the sidecar guys that probably stems from the original thing we did which was we hold the very very niche Guinness World Record for the longest journey by scooter and sidecar. So yeah, we drove around the world by scooter and sidecar, went down for Africa, up for the Americas, and then back across Russia in winter. So minus 45, it was chilly stuff. But we came home and we were going to a few events to do speaking gigs in, um, I think my Renault Clio at the time, and we were pulling up to them and they and we were sort of being like, oh, hi, where do we go? And they were radioing in, being like, oh, the sidecar guys are here. I mean, like, who's the sidecar guys? We're in a Renault Clio. 
So <laughs> after a while, we just realized that everyone else was calling us the sidecar guys. So we called ourselves the sidecar guys. <laughs> and and from then, it's just kind of how far can you go into the world of sidecars, I guess. And we, we're yet to get to the bottom. It could have been far, far worse, couldn't it? That's a great name that you were given. We've definitely been called worse, that's for sure. Because <laughs> you are a bit like the Anton Deck, aren't you, really, of the ad- adventure sidecar world? Because nobody knows. I'm glad you. I can see actually your names on the screen, but I bet people don't know which ones which normally, do they? <laughs> no, we don't. No one has a clue which one is which. Yeah, but we're kind of everything of of the sidecar world, I guess, because the sidecar world's quite small. So it's easy to be the Anton Deck of the sidecar world. You can burst onto that scene, no problem. Them. There's just about 500 of us in the UK or something. We we did that and going all meeting all the sidecar clubs all, all around the world and in the UK in the, in the end. But yeah, we've become somehow the sidecar guys, which is which is great. We love it, don't we, mate? We that's kind of like sidecars, so that's good. That's yeah. interesting, Matt. Did you just pluck that number out of the ether, or are there 500-ish registered sidecars on the I would guess something like that. What do you reckon, mm. Reese? I wouldn't think there's loads, but I mean, there's obviously some well-known brands like Watsonian, obviously it's Ural, there's a few others, and there's there's obviously the Federation of Sidecar Clubs, and there's lots of small individual clubs that kind of go under that umbrella. They're definitely a niche, right? You could probably do the same as we do with the podcast. We know the names of everybody that listens to this podcast. You could probably be friends with all sidecar owners in the UK. I think we are with a lot of them. <laughs> it's usually because they've had questions from us, like how do they work? How do you fix them? That's that sort of stuff over the years. In the olden times, using a sidecar was a bit of a loophole, wasn't it, Clive? To sort of with license, wasn't it? You could ride a yeah. quite a large motorcycle with a sidecar on a provisional license or something, or you didn't have to take a bike test. You just had to have your car license. That was it. Yeah, you could have a motorcycle with a sidecar just on your car license. Still a thing, young people? No. Okay. You now need a solo motorcycle. You need basically a full motorcycle license, which yeah. in itself is, well, I guess it seems normal, but to us it's not, because they are quite different. Um, yeah. well, maybe we'll touch on that today, but it, it's definitely yeah. a different machine. We we had to pass our solo motorbike test just to do the trip on the scooter and sidecar, and that was just completely pointless because it couldn't have been a more different vehicle. Like it was genuinely more similar to a car than a motorbike. It just there's no it's not at all the same. Have you guys ridden sidecars before? Have you? Have you? No, and why oh. would I would love to? No. But I'm not going in the sidecar. I suppose you'd have to experience going in the sidecar. But I would, I'd always be want, want to be the one that actually rides the, the motorcycle. Oh, both appeal to me. I think it would be a real giggle. I'd really love it. And I've always, for years, I've always looked at Urals just to see what the, what's going on with Urals. But it's kind of like the Harley thing for me. I still, it's another genre of motorcycling I haven't explored, but I need to tick off at some point. Well, you have to come for an experience day, guys. Oh, I'd love Make that. that happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see you there. Well, you're only across the Pennines from us, aren't you? You're both up in Newcastle now, or? Yeah. So you've come from the South Midlands, as I like to call Banbury. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm from Coventry originally, so I know I know Banbury a little bit. Oh, okay. About 30 miles away. And now we're in Newcastle. It's good up here. There's less coffee factories than Banbury had, but there is a nice beach. Living the dream now. Northumberland is great for, for riding in as well. We, we a, a mate of ours lives there, so we spend a lot of time riding in Northumbria as well. To be fair, it is really good. The, the actual story as to, I think, how we ended up here was when we fit, when we did the trip, Matt's better half, Chelsea, was from northeast for Newcastle. And uh, when they got back, it was kind of like well i've let you go and do this fun thing now you can come and join me in the northeast which is fair and i went back to london 
where I was living uh, sort of before the trip. And then when COVID happened and stuff is when the sort of all the other stuff started happening for us, like the virtual armchair stuff. We started chatting to Ural and that sort of thing. With the sidecar experience stuff, we were just deciding where to lo- locate it. I was probably in a much more flexible position than Matt who just got a flat. So we thought, well, let's give Newcastle a go. And it's worked out quite well. It's a strange place, Northumberland, because we always say, like, so many people don't really know much about it exists, almost. They almost, a lot of people in the South get to kind of the Peak District or the Lake District, and then they go, that's it. They can't go any further. And then they just turn back round. But if you just go a bit more, it gets better. Well, that's that's the part of its charm, really, is not many people go there. So you can go out on your trail bikes, and, you know, if you're in the lakes or the dales, you're guaranteed to see people, especially in the lake. But you go to Northumbria, and you might not see anybody. Yeah, we don't really see many people at all. When we do the experience days, we just have the whole place to ourselves, which is really nice, to be honest. See, take out the odd cyclist, see lots of cyclists. Tell us a little bit more about the experience days and what you're doing with Ural. We kind of landed the contract to be in the Ural dealers for the UK, which came out of nowhere. Uh, because the only link to that is that we've done the scooter and sidecar trip. We just emailed them once and said, we're now the sidecar guys, so we thought we'd try riding some different sidecars and we'd love to give a Ural a spin. And they said, well, why don't you come to the Portugal Experience Centre and try it? And then we went over there, had a great time, and drank the Kool-Aid and then got stuck in into Urals. Got hooked on it, basically, and ended up setting up dealership in the UK, the Northeast. And then the like sort of natural thing to do from that is to do experience days because nobody's kind of ever ridden motorbikes and sidecars before. Most people haven't. And they certainly, most people have never off-roaded on a motorbike and sidecar or even thought it would be a possibility to, to do that. So it's quite a um, kind of niche and really fun different thing to do is sort of tear along green lanes in a in a two-wheel drive motorbike and sidecar with, with your pals so that's the experience days we put on which has been a load of fun to do actually yeah taking out lots of uh lots of different people riders of all different kinds of abilities um down the lanes and trying to keep them upright it's been good do you know the h oh you don't know the h Oh man, you're in for a treat. No, don't really don't try and take one up, up and down the H. It's this quite steep, very gnarly uh, uphill lane in Northumberland somewhere. I don't know where it is. It's notorious just for its difficulty because it gets heavily washed out. So it's huge ruts. But four by really? four, they'll tackle it. Yeah, but it is quite, of all the things you would probably do in Northumberland on the trails, it's probably like the it's notoriously the hardest little stretch <laughs> to get up. But I was going to say, are you kind of then a dealership or the sole importer of Urals for the UK? Yeah, we're kind of both, I guess. Yeah, so we've the importer and the dealer. Yeah, and we have like two locations now. We've got Sidecar Guys Northumberland and Sidecar Guys London, which which is a surprise. Yeah, but that must have been so <laughs> exciting to get that. Yeah, so we're going for UK-wide sidecar domination, aren't we, Reese? Or at least you're, you're yeah. going for it. You've already got it. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Urals had always been on your sort of radar, presumably. When we were motorcycling, we've heard of them, right? But before the yeah. trip, we didn't know what a motorbike was, basically. So to say they've always been on our radar, they've been on our radar for the five years that we've known anything about motorcycles or motorcycles yeah. i guess but really i didn't even really know anything about urals until i got back from the trip we, we, we'd we been in them in poland and stuff but we didn't really know anything about them 
Could you give me a little history of the Ural Motorcycle Company? And also describe what they are, you know, that boxer engine type BMW GS thing that they've got going on as well. Well, I mean, Urals are old, were originally war machines, basically. That's what they were first made for. They knocked them out 10 a penny in the factories. Didn't know how many pistons would be in it. They were just built and sent off to war, like, let's go and let's go and take them to the battlefield. So made to be strong and rugged. They were originally, I guess, like a BMW box engine it was kind of a, a, a rip-off or like uh, it was the spoils of war like they just nicked the design um and all the tooling and everything and then they just kept tinkering with that engine for like 80 years and kept making them and now 80 years later they're just an adventure toy no one goes to war on them anymore anyway well not the modern ones you sure there's still sidecars at war sadly in ukraine and stuff but they're not coming from the ural factory anymore they're now adventure toys for like green laning and stuff and they they so they were a russian brand they're a russian heritage motorcycle if you like they've been owned by a russian guy who's been who lives in america called Ilya. Um, so it's an American-owned company, and they now make Russian heritage vehicles, motorcycles in Kazakhstan because of the war in Ukraine. They had to leave Russia after eight years of being in the same factory, which which was gutting for everyone because it made moving made moving the factory made the bikes more expensive. It stopped selling them for you know six months. It made loads of people have to either relocate or lose their jobs. I'm not saying this is the worst thing to come from the Ukraine conflict by any means, but it was a nightmare for the guys at Ural because they're just a, a motorbike brand trying to sell some motorbikes and just have a bit of fun. And they got pushed out of of where they're from, basically. Have they been in production pretty much since the war? Or have there been yeah. any gaps? It was the same factory for 80 years. And then last yeah. year, yeah, they last year they moved it for the first time. So they've been in production the whole time, really. What size of the engine? 750. Uh, yeah, they've done all sorts of different... They've done 650s and stuff in the past, but they're 750 mm. now. They just do one bike, 750, two-wheel drive, selectable two-wheel drive. So only most of the time it's just a real normal wheel drive and the sidecar comes on when you want it. Sorry, two-wheel drive? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Which wheel is the second wheel that gets driven then, the one on the sidecar? Yeah. I did not know that. No, I didn't know that. That's amazing. So no Urals get produced without getting a sidecar hitched to them because of that, presumably. They're oh. all outfits. So they're, right. they're just adventure sidecars now, Urals in general. So they, I mean, they used to make solo bikes and stuff in the past, but now um, for a little while, they've just been adventure motorbike and sidecars. And they've got, um, yeah, they've got this selectable two-wheel drive functionality. So if you think you're going to get stuck or you have got stuck, you can just bang it into two-wheel drive and both the back wheels will turn at the same pace and just drive you out of trouble. It's new for the UK. It's been on the other side since forever. That's how they were have been like for years and years, but they've um, only just started making it for our side of the road. That's amazing. It should be a new Dakar class, shouldn't it? Who typically buys a Ural outfit now then in the UK, would you say? Or is there no... There isn't a typical buyer. It kind of depends, really. We get quite a few, I guess we get quite a few different kind of inquiries. You've got the sort of person who has three or four bikes already. They're fairly, I guess, affluent and they're looking for something that's just a little bit different. People who like doing green lanes, they quite enjoy it. That sort of thing of doing it with a mate, people quite enjoy because there is just as much in being the passenger as there is the rider. So we get a lot of that. A lot of couples quite like the idea. It's sort of like quite a few like motorcyclists who their partner they've not been able to go out with. So having that as as a thing is quite nice. 
they're like sort of the free and then the other one really is also some we get some people who may have been motorcycling for all their life and then for one reason or another injury or something they can't ride solo bikes anymore but having something like a sidecar stabilizer on the side is something that they can potentially continue sort of riding on which is which is cool i can see me and you getting one now in about 10 15 years time oh come on next year this year next year <laughs> you had your um blue monday film showing didn't you tell us about that film because that that's worth watching isn't it you can pay for it and watch it 972 breakdowns i think it's only a couple of quid on a um, streaming service they've got on their website if you if you google it god what film they're just absolutely bonkers those guys they they went off in what was it three year outfits five people, one giant tarp, two and a half years on the road, riding from their hometown in Germany to New York. And they tried to ride the whole way, literally. So they tried to ride to Magadan. No, the road to the end of the, yeah, tried to get to the end of the Road of Bones. Is that Magadan or is that the start? Yeah, it? it is. Yeah, yeah. And then they tried to ship it there and get over to Canada. We won't spoil it, but they didn't quite do that. But they did do a lot of stuff that is just truly wild, which also involved turning the Urals into boats and sailing or driving a Ural 1600 kilometers down a river in the most remote part of the world imaginable, which was just absolutely insane. Yeah, well worth a watch. They're the only people I've met so far that have done a more gnarly sidecar adventure than me and Reese, which is, which is, I hate, I hate them for, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool. They're the sidecar guys. Yeah, they are. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's get back to your trip then, because you did it. You didn't do it on a Ural. You did it on a fucking scooter. What were you thinking? Um, <laughs> I don't. Well, I did. Do you know that? I guess we probably should say the reason we sort of did it overall. It was a charity challenge for one, and it was we were raising. We chose a, a because we were trying to do a round the world trip and going through so many countries. We wanted to focus on a borderless issue. So we did it on raising awareness of modern slavery because uh, it's in every country on earth. For or against it? Uh, for, for slavery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always have been. Um, uh, no, against against slavery. Um, and so, yes, we did that. And then the sort of scoot and sidecar part came from, A, the fact it was going to be a charity challenge, and B, also the other part of the trip was kind of posing the question is a world a friendly place which i think quite a lot of adventure sort of stem from that route thing anyway that's definitely not the first people to come up with that idea but we thought if we could choose the most inappropriate mode of transport we could possibly think of that would be a reasonably good test for it because we were so clueless about bikes in general as we've sort of already mentioned we passed our tests to do it we literally left and didn't know how to use a spanner sort of thing so we just kind of thought well we'll break down the whole way and see if people help us or don't we got back so that they did um it's kind of the that story but so yeah that was why we did a scooter really and then also just the fact that no one had ever done it on a scooter in sidecar before and we just thought it was funny so this one when we get sick these days people say oh it's wallace and gromit and stuff but that's the point that's why we're in sidecars for wallace and gromit. <laughs> yeah we love that we wanted to achieve it it's fun yeah it's just a good crack who would we have picked before wallace and gromit clive as the sort of go-to exponents of, <laughs> for, of sidecar outfits it would be i think it would be george and mildred who are George and Mildred? Is this an all the buses Late 70s, I think. We get a lot of people in their, like, 60s come and tell us about names that we don't know who they are. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what's just happened? 
But it was a Honda. I guess in some ways it's surprising it broke down, but I guess the issue with scooters is you've got a centrifugal clutch, which if you're trying to drag two people and a sidecar through sand up a stony hill or something like that, that's where you can have trouble with the clutch, right? So that's what happened a lot. <laughs> we didn't know that at all. So the first time we had to wait three weeks for the clutch to come from the UK. But yeah, that was the main thing that had kept happening over and over again was the clutch would burn out because of the weight and stuff. And only when we left the tarmac, really... I don't think it happened on time. It was mainly because we'd just done stuff like try to wild camp in the Sahara one night was the first time we did it. And I drove it down a big sand pit and then we tried to get it out all, all evening. And the next day it kind of blew up on us, didn't it, Reese? So who made it? It was definitely. Car? Oh, that was uh, Charlie and Richard Prescott, who won't meet their names, won't mean anything to you. They were, we approached like loads of manufacturers. We approached people who built iCars and they just weren't that keen to. To build it we were running out of ideas as and, and we'd already confirmed we were going by this point we like we'd set a date and it was about three months till we were due to depart and we still didn't have the right scooter and we still didn't have a sidecar and we were sort of scratching our heads almost thinking are we gonna have to try and build this thing and my stepmom was she used to work at tsb in banbury charlie walked in one day who banked there and he she was chatting to him about it because she knew he liked bikes and he would just started saying oh, i used to build trial side cars in the 60s so he said tell them to come and meet me and i'll have a chat with them so we were like we've got a lead here let's, let's act on it so the next day we were heading out to visit him and his brother at their farm and within about five or ten minutes, they were they were hatching plans to build our sidecar. And we did, still didn't know anything about them. It was just kind of like, well, we've got no other choice. We would have to just go with these guys and hope yeah. for the best. And so that they built it for us. They said they built it to break so that the bike wouldn't, the frame and stuff. And to be fair, the frame of the, the, frame of the scooter never broke once. And at the end, we asked Richard what we owed him for it. And he said... To us, I don't want your money, boy. I'm just pleased to see a couple of lads your age not watching the telly. (laughs) (laughs) What dudes? That's incredible. And they told us to get the Honda as well. So which particular Honda is it and what size engine was it? And a Honda SH300i. And it was um, 279cc. We wanted to do a 125. Charlie wanted us to do like one of those maxi scooters, 750 things. So we met in the middle and did the 300 because uh, he said it might just work. Charlie was right though, wasn't he, about the 750? Well, yeah, it would have worked. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't be on here because we'd just be like, yeah, we got that. It was fine. It was easy. <laughs> so... <laughs> no good stories at all. Is that a water-cooled engine? Yes. Yes. Right. They have no fucking idea, do they? <laughs> uh, yeah. It has that thing you have to top up at the front. So that yeah. must mean, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I only uh, ask because and- I have a quad with a 300cc engine in it and it's got a centrifugal clutch and it is the most reliable Honda engine of all the Hondas I've ever had. It's an incredible mm-hmm. thing. It was in, actually incredibly reliable because you've got to remember it's got loads of weight on it, um, completely wrong forces, like the sidecar dragging it all the wrong way the whole time off centre. And also two idiots who honestly know absolutely nothing about my maintenance or how to like control a bike in any way so like the only reason it worked probably was because it was a honda had it been like a, a sort of a normal bike we probably wouldn't have made it out of uk soil i imagine and do but, you remember a precise moment when the when the dream was born yeah we were both working yeah in london we had a flat 
in Golders Green. No pubs in Golders Green. No, but it did definitely start on a boozy evening, to be fair. <laughs> we were both working at Flight Centre, who later sponsored the trip. They were fantastic. But we were, I guess, selling travel, but we weren't that interested. It was just sort of like finish uni and see what was next. It was good fun, but it wasn't brilliant. And then we thought, let's try and do some something ridiculous. That It started because we saw on Gumtree four whiteboards for sale for £20 in Fulham. So the next day we went to get these four whiteboards and marched them back across on the underground. And for the record, guys, we've sold three of those whiteboards now for £10 <laughs> each with, with £10 up on the whiteboards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so we just started writing down ideas in, in the living room with a few beers that evening. We came up with all sorts of one. At one moment, we were thinking we were going to Flintstone around the world, sort of like doing that thing where they kick, <laughs> yeah. So we had these whiteboards scattered around the room and our flatmate John came in after a big shift and sort of walked into the living room like, what the fuck uh, are you doing? <laughs> and yeah. I don't know. Then it, then it just stuck, really. Fell on scooter and sidecars, didn't right. we? Were you rigorous planners for your round-the-world trip? You know, we planned for two years and I honestly don't know what we did because we just, we when we left, we just didn't know where we were going at all. Like we organised this big thing from London to Paris was like we had like 65 other people with us and we'd got Eurotunnel to give them like free tickets and raise some money for the charities and stuff. And it was awesome. We like escorted to Paris and um, then everyone else went home and we were like, well, which way should we go then? We just didn't know where to go after that at all. So we just mm. sort of, Set, head off south but i guess what we were really doing for two years was working out if we could get the money together to go because that's kind of the biggest part of two blokes in their 20s with no money trying to go around the world really so that was what we were doing but yeah we didn't actually think to like put a, a map on <laughs> to look at a map <laughs> or anything like that what was your route though in the end it was london to greece we then shipped the bike to Alexandria in Egypt, did the East Coast all the way down to Cape Town, and we shipped it to Santiago in Chile, and then we drove to Colombia and shipped round to Mexico. We were going to ship round to Panama and just do Central America, but um, at the time we couldn't. Basically, it was just some conflict going on, and we we just we were advised not to. So it was probably the only time we didn't do somewhere. And then we drove to Vancouver. We tried to get all the way to Alaska. But um, we broke down 400 kilometers from the border. Our, um, our drive belt snapped. And we had a spare, but we were running out of time because by this point, we knew we were the next stop was going to be shipping the bike to Vladivostok in Russia and driving back. And we knew we were going to be doing it in winter. And the longer we left it, the colder it was going to be. So then we shipped it to Vladivostok and drove back to the UK that, from there, basically. 35 countries, 34,000 miles, about five continents, I think. How many miles had the bike done when you set off? 300 miles. We went to Cornwall, didn't we, for some survival training we met this guy and he's called richard he's a brilliant guy from survival wisdom told him what he was doing and i said you know can you give us some training for this trip to see if we can survive and sponsor it like give us it for free sort of thing always after a freebie and he said yeah come down to our surprise we were like great we've got to go then and he'd given us a kit list of what to bring and all this stuff and we we sort of packed it like you know was there a map on that list no there wasn't a map actually <laughs> it, was like, it was like pen and paper like boots and all this sort of stuff we were going out sort of to learn all these things and then we came we did a day's training we got to night time like whip out your sleeping bags lads and your tents and stuff and we just 
hadn't got them because they weren't on the list and we didn't think that we would need a sleeping bag or a tent or anything like that. We literally made a bed of leaves that night. It was very cold and he was just like, you're not going to survive. You can just complete idiots. Like, you didn't get the certificate. I don't know how I can help you. So we had to, he made us come back for another free weekend on him just to see if he could get us a little bit further down the road. I can't remember what I was talking about that. Why was I telling you about Richard? I guess you went on this survival trip, but that, that wasn't, you weren't yeah. kind of done. That was the 300 miles we'd done in the UK. Yeah. yeah. And then, so that mm. was it. Then we set off on the trip around the world. So, and then, so the bike now has done about 36,000 miles because when we got back, Reese commuted on it for a while to do the odd job, which was hilarious because <laughs> it was this absolutely mangled machine with like only a foot brake, like with your literal foot. And um, mm. and it, it, it was useless entirely. Wouldn't ever get through an MOT, but it wasn't old enough to need an MOT. <laughs> you weren't commuting with the sidecar outfit attached, were you? No, yeah, it was. It was we couldn't have taken it off. So it was, it was yeah. actually... I was just yeah. like, you know, I wouldn't say we went for a lull when we finished the trip, but considering I was commuting in Banbury, which is quite a small town, I remember just driving around being like, I am a loser. You know, I'm driving yeah. around in this scooter and sidecar because I've got nothing else. I'm so <laughs> poor. You were. Still are you? <laughs> yeah, it's true, yeah. And you're seeing people that you recognise and they're looking at you like, <laughs> baffled. <laughs> and you're just kind of got to own it so where is the the bike now is it in a museum somewhere it's in our unit with the urals yeah being looked down upon i'd like the idea that it's being used but surely it needs to go to birmingham and live in the museum for a while well it's yeah. it's not being used just literally sat there but we would love to we, we did try and get into a museum but no one wanted it Wow, it's, it's the truth. <laughs> took Steph Jevons' CRF 250, didn't they? But they wouldn't take our scooter and sidecar. God damn it. They said it was because it takes so much space. But it's, <laughs> it's sidecar discrimination, I'm telling you that. You mentioned money earlier. I get the impression that you kind of set off with possibly not a great deal of money and, and we're just kind of chancing your arm as to what happened along the way. Is, is that the case? Kind of. We got sponsored to do the trip, which was great. Flight Centre sponsored us and we wouldn't have happened had it had they not, which was ironic, really, because they trained us to be travel consultants and then just talks us out of it by giving us money to leave. Maybe we were crap at it. I don't know. <laughs> they sponsored it and they gave us five grand to start off to buy to, to buy a sidecar and we got that free off Richard and Charlie so we're already five grand in the green to leave so that's kind of the money we had we managed to convince them to keep drip feeding us money the further we got we were like guys we might actually do it now like we might get back and this might be like useful for you in some way so can you please give us another few hundred quid to ship it to Santiago or something like that or a few grand so that yeah so that's basically how we financed it but they didn't just give us loads of money and we had a cracking time and, and stayed in hotels we were on jam sandwich budget diet and sort of sleeping by the bike most of the time or in people's houses most of the time to be honest so yeah just traveling like that so it was a really nice balance for us because it was like really budget travel which was the point of the trip like would people help us um there wasn't the option to like go and stay in a hotel which would be easy and then also we knew we always had the backup of like having this big company if we really got ourselves in trouble they'd be like oh you can come home now <laughs> <laughs> they'll just fly us home or whatever because they couldn't leave us to die in i don't know ethiopia or whatever it might have been so 
you just said you stayed in people's houses. Was that people just meeting people randomly, taking pity on you and inviting you in? Pretty yeah. much, yeah. It, it depends, really, uh, quite often that. I mean, I, I guess when we did it, we, like the world's so connected about now with like Facebook and stuff. So you've got those groups like Horizons and people knew we were doing it. So they're always saying, if you want to come and stay. So we had a lot of that. And then, yeah, then other times we had bizarre situations. We had this one lady in Texas I knew you were going to... <laughs> she is funny. We were in Texas and we were about nine months into the trip by this point. So we were quite comfortable with what we were doing. And, and, she, and she sort of pulled up next to us in her car and she was just like, all right. And we're like, yeah, you? She was like, yeah. hey, come on. <laughs> she, was like, she, was like, she was like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Banbury, Texas. We're, like, we're driving on the world by scooter and sidecar. She's like, where are you going today? We're like, we're going to... Uh, <laughs> it's a really bad accent. It's guys. amazing. <laughs> Don't stop doing it. It's great. We're to, where are we going? We're going to... Um, I'm strange, Amar- strangely aroused. Do, do <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amarillo. She was like, and she was yeah. like, I'm from, I'm from Amar- Amarillo. You, you guys want to go for lunch tomorrow? We were like, all right, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll go for lunch tomorrow. So that night in Amarillo, we stayed at this biker bar called the Handlebar and Grill, and we stayed at our stayed in um, our hammocks. And so the following morning, we called her and said, um, uh, we're, we're, where do you want to meet? And she said, well, where did you stay last night? And we were, uh, we, we stayed in our hammocks at that Handlebar and Grill. And she said, well, where are we going? It's pretty fancy. So maybe you should come have a shower at my house first. So we were like, okay, sure, we'll, we'll come for a shower. So we went to her house for a shower, and her husband's there. Uh, he's a really nice man. Mac jumps straight in the shower and he mm. starts chatting to me about how um, essentially he's got a prosthetic leg. He got this prosthetic leg because a donkey or a horse back stepped onto his foot and um, broke it essentially. But he didn't believe in the help from doctors. So he's like, oh, whatever, it'll fix itself. And then it went black. So he had to have it amputated. He probably should have just gone to the doctors. Anyway. Hindsight, though. It's easy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so he then said to me, now listen, nobody has signed my leg yet. I'd like you to sign my leg first. So he took his prosthetic leg off and gave Getting it to weirder. me. Getting <laughs> weirder. And I, I was like, okay, I'll sign it. And I, so I'm signing this leg, and Matt comes out of the shower at exactly the same time. <laughs> I'm just like, why the hell are you signing a man's leg in the living room? In this <laughs> At the time, he didn't even know it was prosthetic. He hadn't even got onto that. So the whole thing. Was just... Yeah, which I just saw a foot in the air. Like, Reese was signing it. It was bizarre. And then he said, could you sign it? So I'm just sort of sat there, you know, the towel around me. Best wishes, Matt Bishop. There was very, very, very bizarre. And somewhere... Texas as a man with that written on his leg. But yeah, we did end up staying at their house the following night because she took us for lunch and then she was like, well, you've got to have to stay another night because, you know, we'll look after you with your proper bed and stuff, which is nice. But they were real gun nuts. Like, they were really into their guns. He he actually said to us that night, you know, if anybody came to my house at night, I would just shoot them straight out, right? And, <laughs> and he said, if anyone came into my room at night, I would just shoot them. Gun by my bed, I'd shoot them. <laughs> The only thing about that was the only toilet, the only working toilet in the house was his ensuite. Oh, fuck. So as you <laughs> went, to, went to bed that night, just absolutely busted in the toilet, but no, I'm not going to risk that one. 
genuinely not. So we had loads of fun stories of staying in people's houses mm. all around the world like that. Like, but Texas was a particularly interesting place for it. How did it work with the riding and the passengering then? Did you did you take it in turns? Did one prefer to be on top and one underneath? How did that work? <laughs> I preferred to be on top. Yeah. <laughs> we we just we just switched. We just topped yeah. the tail really. Um it was it was the fuel consumption was so bad because we put a cycle on the side that it's 70 miles and it was done. So it was just 70 one tank switch really and it was it was definitely nicer to ride. The cycle was pleasant enough. What more just a more comfortable seat. Honestly, if the weather was really bad, then it was nice to be in the sidecar. Not really cold, but just like really rainy. You could sit there and eat a chocolate biscuit and just laugh at them getting really wet because we had a roof. Or if it was really sunny towards the sort of second half of the trip, we didn't care as much. You could sit there in a shorts and T-shirt and just like kick back and read a book in the sidecar. And that was nice. But generally speaking, you wanted to ride just because, I don't know, guess you, I guess really we're both just those kind of people like to have our own fate in our own hands, you know, not 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 be plowing into another truck because of Reese or whatever. And also, the mm. sidecar's on the wrong side, so quite often you would pull out to overtake someone and the guy in the sidecar would be going, no, 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 no! Get back in! <laughs> <laughs> so coming the other way from the, from the, the oncoming lorry or whatever. Was that yeah. something you'd considered before you set off, or did that just sort of hit you as soon as you got onto foreign roads? No, we we considered it. It was, but we had no choice actually because if it's a UK registered sidecar, it has to be on the left hand side. And in every country, it goes by the rules go by the country a vehicle's registered in, not by the country you're in. When I was sort of giving a very what turned out to be rather unsuccessful pitch to my girlfriend last night about getting a sidecar outfit. She did say that one of the advantages might be that you could cover a lot of distance because one of you could sleep in the sidecar. Mm. And then you could sort of take turns. Is it possible to sleep as a passenger in a sidecar outfit? All the time. <laughs> we did that a lot. Yeah. And especially, I mean, in the hotter places, I would say it's virtually impossible not to sleep in our sidecar because the, the greenhouse effect of the, of the roof. <laughs> and, and, you know, in Sudan, you have like three or four really punchy coffees in the morning, still be asleep by 9 a.m. <laughs> was stupid but yeah no we i remember going on that test run down to cornwall and reese is cruising along on a sidecar for the first time at like 50 miles an hour and i was just asleep <laughs> in the sidecar <laughs> what's the what's the cruising speed then what was your what's your best what's your comfortable cruising speed it was probably between 50 and 60 yeah 50 miles an hour on like a, tar- a good tarmac road, you're looking about 50. I think the record when we were going to Cornwall and it had no roof, I think we got it down a hill on that big straight. We going towards Bristol. There's like a downhill motorway, and I think we got it to about 82, 83. Mm. But it was a good two to three minutes of downhill, tucking in, being as aerodynamic as possible. Yeah. But generally speaking, yeah, about 50, 50 55. You'd rarely get 60 on the trip. I mean, and towards 50, 55 was a good cruising speed. And towards the end, it did get progressively worse, didn't it? Like it got much slower and more broken and a lot more risky to go fast. I'd like to hear the story of your little theme tune song that you had for your um, intro film, your trailer. 
of your film. Which one's that then? The oh, um... come on, the one that you asked permission to use and you got yeah, permission yeah. from. Oh, the world's number one comedian. That was mad. Yeah, we did that little trade, didn't we? If the London to Paris gig, and we just we tweeted Ricky Gervais and said, "Can we can we use your trade? Your, your song for it?" Obviously, didn't reply at first, and then he, we just kept pestering him a couple of times, and he was like, "Yeah, go away. Fine, I don't care." So, yeah, <laughs> we tweeted Steve Merchant and Carl Pilkington and said, "Lads, can you put an ask in for us or something like that?" And then he just replied the next day saying, "It's not really my choice, but not yourselves out, boys." So yeah, we used this, we used this song in the in the little in the little video, which we were really pleased about at the time. Then after that, we just decided just to steal people's music because it's very easy to do. Anyway, I don't know why we thought the need to ask someone. Um, <laughs> We, we never got from the Beatles for the track we did, video we did a few year, months later. On the trip, where were you at your lowest ebb, would you say? Oh, definitely in Russia. What, our lowest, yeah. our lowest like, morale style? Yeah, morale, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, definitely in Russia, definitely. Russia was just really silly because it was, um, it was so cold, to be honest. And... Like we were looking at a map. We did. We went. We had to go from Vladivostok back to the UK, which is like ten time zones you cross, and it's just a really long way. And we were really up for the adventure. We we're like bang up, so excited for it because we we hadn't really done a, like a, a really big charity challenge part of the trip so far, and that's what the kind of thing was. Like we the Sahara, the Andes, it was all hard, but it wasn't like really really hard. Do you know what I mean? We we're quite excited by that sort of prospect of like real danger in Siberia and like really and like people had messaged us and said don't do it you'll die and we we're like cool this might be like really hard <laughs> so we thought yeah let's really try we got all our gear and we set off from Vladivostok and we were expecting it to get down to like minus 30 and we had gear for that but we didn't really know what we we're doing uh, we just had cold weather gear no heated gear or anything so we didn't trust the bike after like the second day or something it started snowing and it got colder and colder and we were working our way up over the top of china because that's kind of kind of how the geography works you have to like go north to get around china and then sort of come back down and it, yeah it was just getting colder and colder and it, it was like dropping in temperature and it did drop to like minus 30 and we sort of developed this routine of pulling to a guest house for the first week or two this was pulling to like a guest house or a lorry stop on the side of the road where there was a, a, a bed to stay in you can get inside and get warm sort of have a couple of beers moan about how cold it had been that day eat some mashed potato and some suspect meat and then get up and drive all day again, sort of dawn till dusk, do the same thing. And just, and you, it would, you were just getting freezing cold. Like you just sit in the sidecar and watch the ice form on your visor and just like not see anything for 20 minutes, half an hour. And then the guy would pull in and we both do star jumps and then carry on again. Cause we couldn't speak to each other because the comms were frozen up. Like you couldn't chat and it was just horrendously cold and really scary because we had no control of the bike there was no studs no snow chains or anything we we're slipping and sliding everywhere and obviously there's massive lorries hurtling past you at 50 miles an hour you're going like more like 20 we just kept thinking they were going to take us out and kill us and we did that like two or three days in a row and then on um we always say like after a couple of days of doing something gnarly you always look back and say oh, i'll never do that again that was crazy on this one we were saying right let's do it for another six weeks because that's how far we've got to go so that was that bit there was when we kind of like hit our lowest point we were like oh my god we're such idiots are we going to die for this stupid trip like what the hell are we doing so that was definitely the lowest point and then 
eventually, like a couple of days after, we started getting loads of help from the Russian people, which was like the big sort of hurrah moment of our trip and like justification for doing it all. Because this guy, Klaus, turned up to a coffee shop in the middle of nowhere, called himself Santa Klaus, and um, said, I'm here just to see you. So we thought we were dead because that was just such a nuts thing to happen. He he had our spot tracker and he'd come and found us to see if we were okay. And he couldn't speak any English or anything, but our theory was that he wasn't, he didn't think we were okay. And he he sort of like Mm. put out a a call for help on on Facebook and and on Russian version of Facebook. And it turned out there was a guy in Moscow called Sergi who was like coordinating some help for us as well. And before we knew it, like in every town and village thereafter there was people on the side of the road sort of with signs saying matt and reese pull in here or they pulled their bikes out sort of stood there waiting for this spot tracker to update in minus 20 minus 30 conditions just so they could capture us for the night and get us pissed and lift our spirits before setting us off again so it was just like an amazing like going from a complete low to then like a complete high of being whipped by a 60 year old naked man in a sauna drinking vodka which has always been you know the highest point of my life really <laughs> apart from that that sounds amazing though that's just fantastic it was genuinely and it was it, the whole thing was just unreal it was just uh it was just completely unexpected that level of uh, sort of hospitality and and help and um thing is with help like that is you never know what you're going to get you, you end up in some really truly crazy situations like that one and that happened quite regularly the the, the whipping in the banya with the leaves but it was great fun get tanked up on vodka they chuck you out the minus 40 snow and then chuck you back in the sauna and chuck you back out these interactions must have really lifted your spirits i imagine it, it completely lifted your spirits but also i mean then after about three weeks of doing that it did get like, God, I'm so hungover. <laughs> because it's every, it was every night we were drinking vodka. And like, we posted up one day on social media and said, oh, thanks so much for all the help. But honestly, we, we just need a night off tonight because we can't drink any more vodka. And we pulled up next town. They said, guys, come stay with us. Like, no vodka, no vodka. And we got back to their house and pulled out a bottle of whiskey and said, like, ah, like, on the, no, no. and it was, it really was, like, it was just crazy. And it did get really intense because it was like such a long period of time to be a guest in that way and so reliant on people. And then also it was kind of being like a mini celeb in that people were on the side of the road waiting for you, but then also being expected to stay at their houses. So like imagine Justin Bieber rocking into into a town. And then being asked to stay at their house, like the, the dumb thing was to stay at their houses. It was, it was not being able to speak to them either. <laughs> so it was, it did get quite intense, but they were always incredibly friendly and always actually really nice houses and stuff. Like we, we didn't ever stay in like anywhere horrendous or anything. And it was, it was amazing hospitality, the, the yeah. way people looked after us. Yeah. Definitely like the best and worst part of the trip was the Russia section. I was just thinking yeah. when you were talking about the cold, were you both wearing the same gear? Yeah, we got um, a load of Arctic stuff from Canada, actually, when we were there. A lot of people say, like, why don't we use sort of plug-in heated gear for the bike? And it was just because we didn't, didn't think the bike was going to be reliable enough because of breakdowns. So we just got, like, a goose-down, really like, thermal stuff, which which helped uh, a lot, obviously. But a lot of the stuff is used for, like, Arctic expeditions where people are quite active and, and like walking and stuff but if you were just sat there not so much on the bike they were great if you were sat in a bike but if you were just sat in a sidecar you were still cold after 10 minutes soon went through and no no heated grips grips yeah, we, we did yeah 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 that's true and we had um skiing muffs would you say muffs are better than fingered gloves then in those massively minus temperatures 
that's what we found just because it was keeping your f- fingers together so it was like warm or something rather than separate but i don't know if that's right or wrong they were snowmobile muffs weren't they we had. yeah they were yeah i don't know i'm the glove expert i've got a, a drawer full of gloves about that big you got any mitts i don't have mitts no but we both use bar muffs I used to laugh at Noel for using bar muffs, but now I absolutely swear by them. What, like the hippo things? Hippo hands, yeah, that's exactly what I've got, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We actually, some guys made us some of those in, in Russia out of some uh, some insulation sort of stuff. Kind of help. At minus 45, nothing's going to keep you warm, is it really, apart from a house with central heating? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the Armchair Adventure Festival. When's it happening? What's going on? How do we get tickets? So that's happening 27th to 30th of July this year. It's going to be the third in-person one. The first two were in September. The first two in-person ones, because originally it was virtual, hence the name Armchair. And they're in September. We moved to July in search of warmer evenings and um yeah i guess, I guess really it's it's a it's a, a mixture really it's we always sort of kind of come at our, our angle from adventure travel as, as just as much as adventure motorcycling and we have lots of friends in different sort of events and in the motorcycle industry so we've, we've done something different which is like we have all sorts of different adventure travel people so motorcyclists kayakers cyclists hikers whatever you name it sort of thing who come and do talks and then there's loads of cool activities who are the coolest the coolest oh that's a good Ooh. question we had a guy come last year called charlie walker he walked across siberia just as the war in ukraine was kicking off and he got arrested in russia and was kept in jail for a month they accused him of um illegal journalism and that sort of stuff but obviously he wasn't he was just walking he was a cool cool guy yeah but yeah it's good fun and it's matt edgecombe which is like a, a cracking spot for a festival and you've got Ben King as well, haven't you? Who's always fantastic value. Yeah, we had Ben King the first year. He was just hilarious. Hopefully he can come back again this year. We'd love to have him back. He's just mm. nuts. We had him on the podcast just before the Lightweight Adventurous Festival last year. And I'm thinking, oh, he's just going to be telling the same stories. But it actually got like an hour's worth of new stories just from the journey from home to the festival. You can pretty much offer a, a money back guarantee with Ben. Yeah, if you're pretty not much, yeah. money back. No. 100%. When we when we were doing our trip, Ben was doing his at exactly the same time, and we were watching him, and we were just like, oh, that, that little twat, like, he's just such a liar. He's just putting it all on. <laughs> like, this has to be fake. Like, this is made yeah. for YouTube. It's so over the top. This, this can't be real. And then we met him in real life. Oh, my God, mate. It's real. That's actually what yeah, he's like. Yeah. And yeah. he's the most authentic so. person ever. He's just authentically insane. Yeah. Like, buzzes around, like, on the like, like yeah. he's on speed all the time. He's such a good speaker. Honestly, yeah. people were playing with laughter at, the, at him at the first mm-hmm. festival. And we had all sorts of really cool people come down. We had Ben, we had, we have, it's what's so great about it is it's different people every time because there's so, it's such a big catchment of all different kinds of, so this year we've got a lady who's started running across the world at the age of like 65 or something like that and uh, called rosie and she's and she tows a little trailer and sleeps in it at night which has got these amazingly weird and awesome people doing all these crazy stuff sort of come together three wheels pub we have on the festival site is the is the only place where you'll be able to like have a pint with someone who's ran the americas and the bloke next to him will have like sailed around the world the girl next to him would have like ridden around the world on a motorbike and it's just like such a cool vibe oh, you've obviously never been to kendall <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how That's many true. people can you cater for a thousand yeah 
That's a nice size, I would imagine. So we'll probably have about that many people there this year. And how do we get tickets for that there festival down in Cornwall? <laughs> right, yeah. You go to armchairadventurefestival.com. <laughs> yeah. forward slash book now oh, do, it, do it in the Texas boys do it in the Texas and you're also doing the MCN adventure stage aren't you in a week or so's time in fact it might have happened just a few days gone because by the time this comes out it might have happened already but I do I do have a request our friends the lightweight adventurers are doing something on the stage and I've put a bounty out on Facebook so whoever asks them a certain question wins a T-shirt. So if nobody does it, can you do it on my behalf? Just ask them. Yeah, what is the question? Just ask them what their favourite podcast is. All right. Do we get a T-shirt? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you both have one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you get nervous about this kind of thing then, or are you, do you take it in your stride now? We've kind of got this brand of being like quite badly organised and not good at stuff, Excellent generally. So, so that's like quite a nice way to approach things. We kind of sort of bubble around stuff on stage which means we don't have to be super polished hosts to, to sort mm. of be what we are booked <laughs> do you know what i mean so yeah. we'll, we'll just go on we, we're not experts about bikes so we don't have to be experts about bikes we're not experts about travel so we don't have to proclaim we are we'll just go on talk to some people about travel and bikes and then and then kind of leave and it's as easy as that so yeah not too nervous but really we have just... the exact same mo don't we Clyde? we do we haven't got a fucking clue what we're doing either really it's genius <laughs> genius absolute genius so also you've got a book as well you've written a book i think matt wrote the book didn't you matt mainly yeah, I was supposed to write the book. Reese was supposed to do the film. Come on, Reese. No. Yeah, you can read it. Let us know what you think to it. I, we always like to hear all the reviews, good and bad. We've had excellent reviews. We've had bad reviews. The bad reviews are often funnier. Stuff like, uh, want to pay 15 quid for a load of nonsense about immigration? Buy this. <laughs> or like from, from a couple of Ramonas uh, and stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we have pretentious twats. Yeah. Yeah, pretentious twats. <laughs> yeah, that's our MO as well. So yeah, give it a read. Let us know what you think. Our Ridiculous World Trip is called. Yeah, it's all about the... Well, to be honest, it's about the world. That's why the bit trip is in brackets. It's about what we saw as we travelled, not just what we had for breakfast. Is it just on your website or is it available on Amazon and places like that? Somewhere that pays their fucking taxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can get it in yeah. your bookstore. If your local bookstore happens to be the upcycled home on Mount Edgecombe Peninsula, if not, you have to buy it on Amazon or our website, thecycloguys.com. So thecycloguys.com, buy it on that one because then we like make, I don't know, about eight quid. But on Amazon, we make about 80p. So it's up to you guys. Go for it either way. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. As much as we did, funny buggers, excellent podcast. I think you'll agree. And the, and the really lovely thing is they're so utterly modest about what they've achieved. Remarkable. Really enjoyed meeting them. We need to get them back on again and hear a few more stories. Right. See you next time. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate your support. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you really appreciate what we do, you could consider supporting us on Patreon or buy us a coffee. Links are available on our website, which is tampodcast.com, tampodcast.com, where we also have a limited selection of branded stuff. But either way, please keep listening and spreading the word. See you next time.